If you would, please open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2. And we have a very special story from the Word of God. <clears throat> it's the very last day of the prophet Elijah's life. And there are a lot of things going on in Elisha's life, his helper. Before I get into the heart of the story, I'd like to ask you about what the Lord has put on your life. What has He put on your life? What purpose does He hope to accomplish? And some of you may be thinking, I'm closer to the end of my life than the beginning. What could He do with me now? And some of you may be thinking, I'm so young, I don't know anything about life, let alone what God wants to do with me, or what career, or whatever. And so you wonder. There are a lot of trials and troubles in this world. But you can be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. And though this life may seem long and weary to some, it's really very brief. And you have a chance to engage in life with the Lord before the whole world. And angels are looking in. Some are ready to assist you, some are ready to oppose you. You have the chance to stand for the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, open your word, please, to our hearts. Give us a sense of who you are and what you want to accomplish. Inspire us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Second Kings chapter 2, verse 1. Everybody got your place? And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, imagine that, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And they're going to go three places along the way. And Elijah is going to try to get Elisha to go back. And I want you to ask why he doesn't. I think you'll find out by the time we get to the end. So then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But, Elijah, but Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. How many times has the Lord put something on your heart only to have you confronted by someone else not to do it? How many times have you turned back at the first sign of opposition? 
So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Don't discourage me from my purpose, which was their intent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Might have come across a little more forcefully than that. Then Elisha said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And if I didn't know any better, I'd say the Lord put something on his heart and then faced him with a challenge. What do you think? So the two of them went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. And so Elijah took his mantle, his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water and was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask. What may I do for you? Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Whose spirit was on Elijah? Spirit of the Lord. So he said, You've asked a difficult thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Which he had a sense of already, didn't he? I hope some of you are thinking in terms of your life. And the Lord's saying, here's what I want you to do. You face opposition. You remain steadfast. You face opposition. You remain steadfast. You face opposition. You remain steadfast. Then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire. Imagine that. With horses of fire. I don't know how to relate to that. And separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. (coughs) And he cried out. My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. I'd be like saying today. A nuclear arsenal. What impact does a man of God 
have on the world. What impact does a woman of God have on the world? There's a battle going on. The lines are drawn. The sides are chosen. The impact weapon of the day were horses and chariots. The impact weapon of today, well, ask Iran. But the impact weapon of God is a man of God, a woman of God. <clears throat> so, it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly this chariot of fire and horses appear. Elisha saw it, cries out, and then Elijah was gone. He took a hold of his clothes tore them into two pieces because he was grieved and he took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen down from him and he went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan and he took the mantle that Elijah uh, had fallen from him and struck the water and said where is the Lord God of Elijah <clears throat> he didn't ask for Elijah to come back He wanted the spirit and power of Elijah to come upon him. And so he takes the cloak or the mantle and he strikes the waters of the Jordan and it parts for him. <clears throat> what do we do? Well, if we're in Moses' day, we go looking for that bush that the fire burned in. What are we looking for the bush for? It's, it's not the bush on the ground. It's the God in the bush. And why are we going to make much of the bush? Well, what if we could find Noah's Ark? It isn't the boat. What <clears throat> What if we could find remnants of genetically of David's sheep? What? It, it's the God of David. It's the God of Noah. It is the God of Moses. It's God. And <clears throat> Elisha wants God in his life, and he cries out for it. That's the thing he's going after. He will not be deterred. How many of you will consider God at work in your life? How many of you are courageous enough to ask for the power of the God of Elijah or David? or Noah, or Moses, or, or, or. It doesn't matter about the bush on the ground. 
It's the God in the bush. And every believer has the Spirit of God within them. Why is it that we do not seek after God at work in our lives? Where is the courage today? Where are those who will ask? Where are those who will cry out? What about you? So, when I was 22, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And I was planning to, I was just about ready to graduate, and I was planning to teach history. And so then I got saved, and I said, Lord, thank you for saving me. What about in my life? What do you want to do with my life? And so I came across a passage in 1 Corinthians 7 that says, Remain in the calling in which you are called. Okay. So I'm going to teach. I'll teach for the Lord. Um, But I'm going to teach for the Lord. What do I know about the Lord? I know. I'll go to seminary and learn about the Lord. So I did. I didn't have much in the way of money. I didn't have much in the way of education. In fact, I was a um, troublemaker in high school. I didn't have good grades. Consequently, my grades weren't great in college. So that when I'm going to go to seminary, I don't have good grades. I don't have any money. Who am I to ask God anything? But I didn't know any better. So I applied to Dallas Seminary, and they reject 10 people for every one they accept, and I didn't have a chance in the world of getting in there. But I said, God wants me there. He'll get me in there. So the months went on until it was time to hear, and I got a call about 10 o'clock at night here on the West Coast, and back there in Dallas it was midnight. And the committee was meeting to approve who was whoever was going to be accepted and who wasn't. And so this person called me and he said, <clears throat> we're um, evaluating your application. And there really isn't anything on here to commend you to us. Um, and I said, I know. But maybe... The Lord wants me to come. I don't know. And I cried out to him. And they said, thank you very much. A couple weeks later, I got my acceptance. So then I decided, okay, I'm going to go back. Well, I didn't have anything. Um, Paul and I were just married. We didn't have anything. We um, threw everything we had in the back of the car and took off. We didn't have any money. Had money for gas to get there. That was it. And we got there, um, and I was excited. Went into the registrar's office and said, 
I'm Mike Lohr. I've just been accepted to come here to go to school, teach for the Lord. And they said, oh, your books and tuition are all paid for. Just fill out this paperwork. I don't know to this day who paid for it. So, Lord provided a job for me, job for while I was going to school, a job for Paula, um, and we started going through seminar. Each semester, I'd go to the registrar's office. They said, "Your books and tuition are paid for." Halfway through seminary, um, I planning to work through the summer, finishing my second year. Two weeks before school's out. <clears throat> And I get a call from a missions professor, and he says to me, um, I just got a call from one of our graduates who's serving on the mission field in Italy. He's an Air Force chaplain and also has a little Italian church, and he wants a student to come. And... Um, while well, he goes home for summer months on furlough. And we think you might be that person. Will you pray about it? I said, sure, I'll pray. So I went home. Paula came home. I told her, and we prayed. And she, and she said, and I said, and we said to the Lord, Lord, if this is what you want to do, then you do it. Here we are. So... We no sooner finished praying and phone rang back just before we finished, so we had to hurry up and finish your prayer. And um, I picked up the phone and someone said, I hear you're going on a summer missionary internship. I want to support you. Um, and I said, oh, thank you very much. I told Paula. And she said, hmm, maybe the Lord wants us to go. And I said, I'll tell you what. If the Lord has his hand in this, we only have two weeks. We don't have time to go asking everybody for support. Let's just see what the Lord will do. I'm not going to tell anybody. And yet we only had two weeks, so then we didn't tell anybody anything. If somebody asked, we'd say, Lord doesn't want us to talk about it. And um, you just do whatever the Lord puts on your heart, if anything. And so <clears throat> by the end of the two weeks, we had enough money for a plane ticket. That's all we had. One way. <laughs> and so we said, who knows, the Lord may come back before we may not even need a return ticket. <laughs> so let's go. So we did. We got over there <clears throat> uh, on the very the very next day. The missionary was had his plane ticket to come home, and 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 so we landed, flew through the night, landed early in the morning, and we didn't have anything, didn't have any money, and so we um, carried our luggage, went out to the road and hitchhiked. We had to go all the way across country, hitchhiked. End of the day came, we made it to the town, and. Um, the guy that was driving us last gave us a little token to call the person, called a chitoni, and he dropped it had grooves in it. And you drop it in the slot of the payphone, 
And so we did. We called him, he came, picked us up, and he left for furlough the next morning. There we were. We didn't have anything. But the Lord provided through that summer amazing ways. Sometimes we didn't have any food, and somebody bring by a bag of zucchini. We'd had zucchini this, zucchini that. <clears throat> and then sometimes one of the military personnel would bring by a case of sea rations. I know what to do with these, I told Paula. So that's the way it went through the summer. Never received uh, anything from anybody. Two weeks, never talked about it. Two weeks before we were due to come home and register for school, checks started coming from all over the world to uh, provide for us so that come the, um, the day before we were supposed to leave, we were still lacking $500. And day was drawing to a close. Sun went down. Somebody knocked on the door. Serviceman said, I decided to re-enlist, and Lord put on my heart to give you part of this, uh, the bonus that I got for re-enlisting. It's $500, and that's what we needed to get home. So, next day, got up early, traveled by train across country. It was so full, we were just standing there like this the whole way, holding on to the thing. People all around us. Got on the plane, came home, landed in New York. All we had left was $8.32. And I said to Paula, are you hungry? And she said, yes. I said, we have $8.32. You want to go get something to eat? And she said, we may need it when we get to Dallas for some a cab ride or something. Let's not. So we didn't. Got back to Dallas. And we had given up our apartment let somebody use our car, and uh, let go of our jobs. And we got back, and next day is registration day. Monday we got back Sunday afternoon, evening, and our friends were there that we let use the car. They were there to pick us up. I don't know how they found out about it. And then took us in. They said, oh, there's an apartment ready for you. The first month's rent's paid. Got down to school, and the next day, and they said, your books and tuition are paid for. By the way, if you want a job, there's a job up at the admissions office. I mean, up at the business office. And so that's the way that happened. So then the missions professor said, did you see the hand of God? And I said, yes. <clears throat> and Jesus said in Luke 22:35, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals... Did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. So the missions professor said, um, how would you like to be the, in charge of the missions prayer group every week and coordinate those who want to pray for missions um, every week? So I did that. And I, and I, but I'm, but I, you know, I'm still going to teach for the Lord. That's what the Lord put on my heart. So I'm training, teach for the Lord. So then, it gets to the end of the, the four-year time, um, program, and I'm I'm doing the missions thing and falling in love with uh, worldwide missions and the things God's doing all around the world. Very exciting. And then. There was this pro this program, 
So if you can teach for the Lord, uh, I found out if you, you not only have to go to seminary, you have to go to the doctoral program. And they had one slot open, because I didn't have any money, and one slot open wherever the where everything is paid for, everything. And I applied for it. And they said, come on in. So I came on in, and they said, you've got the scholarship. I was so excited. I went back to uh, where I was staying and told my, my best friend about it. He said, wow. Um, later in the day, he called him. He went and applied, and they called me back the next day and said, we want to give it to him. And so I said, oh, Lord, this is your way of saying no to teaching at seminary. So you don't want me to teach for you? Hmm. Maybe missions. Maybe you want me to go to the mission field. So I prayed about it, and I got really excited about it. And then... I talked to Paula, and she said, I know you're excited about missions, but I don't want to go. I said, have you been praying about it? She said, yes, I have. And I concluded, the Lord is just as capable as communicating of communicating his will to my wife as he is with me. So we're not going. Let's see. <clears throat> can't teach. Can't do missions. What other kind of ministry is there left? There's the pastorate. Oh, God, I don't want to do the pastorate. You have to stand up and speak in front of all these people. Not only that, I didn't grow up in the church. I don't know anything about it. So... I said, okay, well, maybe then I can learn about it. So I called my home church and said, could I do a pastoral internship? They said, we'd love for you to do that. Only problem is, we can't pay you anything. I said, that's no problem for the Lord. So <clears throat> I did. took this pastoral internship that began... Um, 35 years ago, been doing pastoral ministry ever since. And something strange happened along the way. And I found out that, you know, after all this pastoral ministry, you know really all it is? Teaching. <laughs> Teaching for the Lord. Huh. Well, so he wants it to happen here in this way instead of there in that way. I'm happy with that. Then uh, I finished with this one pastoral ministry position, and someone before I finished that said, "Why don't you start a church over here? We need somebody to help us start a church over here. Will you will you come do that?" And I said, "Sure." And he said. 
we're just a small group or a poor community. We don't have any money. I said, that's no problem for the Lord. And so I went. And when I got there, <clears throat> one of the one of the uh, members was a believer uh, and owned a company, a geophysical company. And he said, hey, I want you to go up. We need a guy up there. I want you to go up and apply for a job. And I want you to tell him, because he's the owner of the company, I don't want you to tell him that I sent you. Just go up and apply. See what the Lord does. I said, okay, this is going to be exciting. So I went up there, filled out the application, turned it in. The guy, I'm doing an interview after, the, after that, and he says, <clears throat> um, I see you don't have any experience. Um, I said, no, I don't. I don't have any experience. And he said, great. And then he said, um, do you have... Um, do you have any um, acquaintance with geophysics at all? And I said, no, absolutely none. He said, wonderful. You've got the job. I said, thank you very much. But uh, how is it that I get the job with no awareness of geophysics or no experience or no education in that regard? And he said, well... We've been hiring people and firing them because uh, that have a lot of experience and education, and when they get here, they don't want to do it the way we want it done. Well, we train them, and they won't, and they go and do it their own way. But the thing that keeps us in business is our way of doing it, and our customers like it, and they're successful in drilling for oil, yada yada yada, and so we figured if we just get somebody that's has an aptitude and is teachable and willing to obey, we'll try that. So they did, and it worked. And not only that, they started sending me around the world to train their agents so that they could use this software. And as I, as I started doing this, I had chances to share Christ as my Savior. So the, long story short, over the years, while I was pastoring a church, the... I had this job, and I said, is it okay with you if I, I go when this company, and they said, yes, of course. And then so I started going all over the world, and when I did, I had opportunities to share Christ as my Savior all over the place to where I went to over 20 different countries, multiple places in each country, um, some play cases, many places, many times, return trips and everything, and every time I had a chance to share Christ as my Savior. So at the end of us, all these years, then I start, it suddenly dawned on me, I'm a missionary. I didn't have to raise support. I didn't have to go on deputation. My wife can stay home with the children. No conflicts there. The Lord hears and answers prayer. Where's the God of Elijah? He's right here. He's working in my life.
I just cry out and ask him. All expenses paid, trips around the world, probably close to 50 trips. Sometimes for a few days, sometimes for a few weeks, sometimes for a few months. <sighs> Strange story. So I got out of seminary and I go to my home church for the pastoral internship and I get there. I bump into this guy one day after Sunday church uh, that goes to church and he says to me, Hey, what are you doing after church? And I say, nothing. And he said, let's get together. Let's get together and pray and go share Jesus with the neighbors and around the, in the community around the church. I said, great. Hey, and so then I get there and he says, um, hey, while we do that, let's pray for China. Of course, at that time, China was locked up tighter than a drum. You couldn't get in, and if you were in, you couldn't get out. And so <clears throat> I said, okay, pray for China. I said, by the way, I used to pray for China when I was back at seminary and the lead people, among other places all around the world. We prayed for China. He said, great, let's pray for China. So we did, and then we'd go out and share Christ in the neighborhood. Did this week in, week out, month in, month out, and after a number of months, um, all of a sudden, this guy's gone. I said, well, where is he? You seen Don around? No, I haven't seen him. Somebody said, finally said, he's living down in L.A., well, what's he doing down there? He's going to a Chinese church so he can learn Chinese. So then, year goes by, maybe more, and I hear from somebody, "Hey, you know where Don, you know where Don Vanzani is?" I said, "No. He's in China. China had opened up. They're looking for engineers. He was an engineer, and..." He went over. Well, I knew what he was going to do once he got there, in addition to being an engineer. And I thought, isn't that the way of it? There is a God who hears and answers prayer. And he is at work today. So, you know, the very first place that they sent me, that company, China. And so I get to China, and they assign me a government agent translator, which all the translators are government agents, and I shared Christ with them. He accepted Christ as his Savior. I said, you need to go home and tell your wife. And your child showed me a picture of the family. He said, oh, no, I couldn't do that. I'll lose my job. I'll lose my wife. I'll lose everything. Because he's not just a worker. He's a government agent. I said, you face eternity without your wife because you're afraid to tell her the good news that Jesus forgives sins. And so then, I left, came back for another trip, different agent. And I said, do you know this other guy, this other agent? He said, yes, I do. 
I said, um, suppose that he could come up and we could get, I want to follow up with him. Could we meet? So he says, yeah, I'm going to make the arrangement. Um, so I was going to be there a while. And so then um, it's um, the Saturday before Easter. And we're traveling. We've got the agent and me and the car trip. And then and we're traveling over. to. We have to go over and consult with some people. Long way away, several hour trip, several hours back. <clears throat> Just me and him and the driver of the car couldn't speak English. So I started talking to him about the Bible, started talking about Jesus and God's um, plan of salvation, how to salvage us. And, and as I'm telling him, um, he starts asking questions, question after question after question. I mean, I'm telling him all kinds of things. And so then he accepts Jesus as his Savior. So then... Um, on the way back, and the next day we got to get up early, and um, it's Easter Sunday morning, and so then <clears throat> it's dark thirty, and the, we're sitting around this round table, and there's ten of us at the table, me and my agent and eight other people, and we're eating rice porridge, dimly lit room, and <clears throat> I'm getting ready to go out and work for the day, and I and I get this notion in my mind, um, the Lord says. Ask them if they know what day this is. So I did. I said, uh, hey, ask them if they know what day this is. They looked at him funny and said, Sunday, in Chinese, he told me. And I said, 2,000 years ago, tell them, 2,000 years ago, God became a human being to live on this planet, to die, to pay the penalty for your sins so you could be forgiven, go to heaven. Tell him that. He told him. Tears started coming down their eyes, down their faces. As they heard, have you ever heard about God before? Never heard about God before. Um, I could tell you story after story after story. So I get back home. Here's another one. So then our company is now going to open up um, work in Canada. And so the boss says, I want you to go up there. I want you to find an agent, and I want you to um, open that up and um, in Calgary. So I make all the plans, go up there, make book the ticket, book the reservations and everything, and then... <clears throat> Um, just before I'm getting ready to go, I get an email from the very first guy in China that I led to the Lord. Oh, and he came to visit. I wanted to tell you, but uh, it's getting too complicated. He did come back for the visit. Uh, and then we got this new believer agent and the old believer agent. And when he comes back, he tells me that he told his wife about Jesus and she accepted Jesus as her Savior. And I said, and the authorities didn't do anything? No, she accepted Jesus as her Savior. We're not telling them. <laughs> so anyway, that's the end of that trip. So then when, so then when I'm getting ready to go up to Calgary, the, the guy that told his wife and she accepted Jesus as her Savior, he wrote me an email, real terse, and said, Jesus is delivering me from China. 
And he said, we're on our way to, Korea, we're on our way to Calgary. So guess who I got to visit with up in Calgary? This same guy that accepted Jesus. And I got to meet his wife and his little daughter. <clears throat> Where's the God of Elijah? He's working right here. So then, I'm having all these trips and chances to share Christ. So here's one. Um, I'm in offshore Africa, offshore Nigeria, and the river's just changed, and the, and we're gathering. We have a it's a seismic vessel. We're gathering geophysical data, and I'm working there and everything. And there's no, I, I say, Lord, there's no way to get in touch with the people to tell them about Jesus. What are we going to do? And I, uh, there's things that happen. I'm going to leave some of it out. And then um, there's this old guy. And nobody, he, he didn't really, he's a kind of a loner. And so... Um, as it worked out, I had a chance to share Jesus with him. And he said, I was on this trip. I thought there wouldn't be any good news on this trip, but you just told me some good news I can't hardly believe. And he accepted Jesus as his Savior. And then I heard, um, like a year later, he died. Um, there's a story after here's another one um, so I'm going to India and I, we have an agent there and, I'm, and I meet with him and he's we're going to all the different companies and talking about our software to people and whatever and I, he says tomorrow Sunday there's no businesses open let's um, take off and go see the sites around town. And I said, okay, I'm going to go to church first. And he's a Muslim. He said, okay, I'll find one and take you there. So um, it, was a, it was a Christian church, but it was a Hindi-speaking church. Nobody spoke English, um, except the pastor, as it turns out. So the guy says, okay, I'm going to drop you off. I'll sit in the car. I'll, when you get done, come on out afterward. So I... I sit in the back and service getting ready to start. The pastor comes down the aisle, walks down the aisle, and he, and he comes up to me and he says, come with me. And he comes and sits me. There's some chairs up here, and he sits me in one of the chairs, and he's in another chair. Service starts, and he says, um, gives some introductory thing. They sing some hymns. Um, the tunes of which I know the words, of course, I couldn't speak, but I sang in English, and they sang in Hindi. And it was a great time. So then uh, comes time for the message, and he says, um, our brother from America is here. He's got a message from the Lord. And I said, I said fine, that's no problem for me. I've been teaching through James. I'll, um, I'll just teach chapter 1. And so I did. Well, as I started, and this guy's translating for me to all the people, as I started, my agent comes walking in the back door, sits in the back pew where I was sitting, decided he'd come on in. So I share the Word of God with them, 
And there he is sitting in the back. The people are grateful afterwards, all fine, wonderful. And so then he's going to take me out and we're going to go. So I thought, okay, well, the Lord's hand is in this. We're going to, we're going to go look at the sites of the city and I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And so I did. And I said, would you like to accept Jesus as your Savior? And he said, no. And I said, hmm, well, Lord. And I get this notion. Ask him if there's anything you can pray for him about. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And he says, absolutely. My wife and I have been wanting to have children for 12 years, and we, haven't ha- we don't have any children. And I said, okay. And I'm getting ready to pray, and I get another notion. Ask him if he wants twins. I said, hmm, this is the Lord. Um, So I said, would you like twins? He said, I sure would. Twins? You bet. And then I I get another notion prompting. Ask him if he wants boys or girls. Do you want boys or girls? He said, I don't care. Doesn't matter. I just want kids. I want children so bad. I said, okay. Um, let's pray. So we prayed. Asked God for twins. A little more than a year later, I get an email from him with picture balloons on there saying, Rejoice with us. We have twin daughters. I wrote back and said, and explained the gospel, just you know, just as God has freely given you this gift, what about the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, the payment for the penalty for your sins? Would you accept Jesus as your Savior now? He said, no. I prayed too. So then I wrote back and I said to him, If these children are a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll claim them as his own. When they grow up, they'll accept Jesus as their Savior. If this is from him, and they do, what will you do then? And I left that with him. Kids are growing up now probably about eight, nine years old, maybe. I could go on and on, but I just want you to know that we're not without resources. There is a God who is at work. And for those who would have a faith relationship with him and trust their prayer request to him, He hears and answers prayer. I just want you to know that. And if he's looking to lead your life, you can humbly follow. Listen to this. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of multitudes, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Psalm 34.10 The young lions lack and suffer hunger, 
but those who seek the Lord shall lack no good thing. Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry. Your heavenly Father knows you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Do you believe that? Let me see a hand. Do you believe that? How much do you believe it? James has a scripture. You do not have because you do not ask. Why is it you do not ask? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we rejoice in the scripture. We rejoice in your spirit. We rejoice how you make it all come together for your plans and purposes for our life. Thank you so much. Inspire your people by your word, by your spirit, to ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming. You're dismissed.